Welcome to the Wise Women podcast, episode four from Women's Centers International. I'm Susan Burgess Lent, Executive Director of WCI, and today our guest is Sylvia Bafour, joining from Washington, D.C. Sylvia is originally from Ghana. She is a professional speaker, executive coach, and emotional intelligence expert who was recently ranked by HubSpot among the top 15 female motivational speakers alongside the likes of Oprah Winfrey and Mel Robbins. She is the author of the emotional intelligence book, I Dare You to Care. Sylvia, welcome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Susan. It's a pleasure to be with you. So let's begin with, how did you get into this work? Yes, it's, sometimes I feel like that's a loaded question. I would take you back to when I got certified as a life coach about 21 years ago, and I began to build a life coaching practice for a few years, but then realized that I had a desire to reach a wider audience. And of course, that was impossible in coaching individual people. And so it naturally opened up the doors for me to build a professional speaking business off my life coaching practice. And I've been at that for about 16, 17 years. And uh, I'm so grateful for everyone I've, I've met along the way who in some way has helped me get to the next point in my professional uh, experiences. So I, I don't take that for granted. Yeah, it's been, it's been a fun journey so far. Our relationship dates back many years to meeting in Toastmasters. I'm forever grateful to Toastmasters as an organization for offering people a chance to improve their communication skills at the most inexpensive rates possible. My only beef with Toastmasters, and I'm still a member, is the name. It's really about professional speaking. It's, it's polishing the craft. And I think more people might be attracted if uh, they've found a different name. We should propose that to them, you know? <laughs> anyway, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, your work currently and what kinds of things you do. I spend a a significant amount of time doing keynote presentations. My focus is around all things emotional intelligence, but I'm also um, focused on some executive coaching. And I I essentially try to help people uh, grow their ability to manage their own emotions and manage the impact that their emotions have on themselves and the people around them. And I think it's something we all need because as human beings, we exist in relation to other people. The idea that we can learn what it takes to be to be able to move through this world in a way that allows us to be well received helps our own success in the end. You know, when people enjoy being around us, then we also succeed. And so I, I spend my life helping people uh, adopt and embrace and practice the kinds of skills that allow them to succeed and thrive in those in their in their everyday and professional relationships. Emotional intelligence in a, in a sentence or two is what? Emotional intelligence is how aware are you of your own emotions and the impact your emotions are having on you and the people around you? That's really it in a nutshell. Are you using your emotions to work for you or against you as you move through life? And do you care about the impact that, that you have on, on people around you? I think it's hard to really uh, be honest with yourself and say, when I do these kinds of things, this is the response I get. And if I keep doing these things, I'm going to keep getting the same response. 
So how do you make the adjustments? How do you have that conversation? There's things we learn about ourselves that we discover for ourselves. And I always call that the mirror effect. It's like putting a mirror in front of your hand and what looks back at you is what you're able to improve. But so much of our ability to learn about our blind spots and stuff has to come from outside people, you know, and that's what we call external self-awareness. And so I actually walk people through exercises where they have anonymous input from people in their circles who kind of chime in and give some honest insight into how they experience you. It's hard to help people who are unwilling, but the majority of us, we want to be liked, right? You want to know that when people think of you, they think of you in a pleasant way. That doesn't happen magically if we aren't consciously doing things to become those kinds of people that people think highly of, you know, it doesn't just happen magically. And if you're interested in genuinely creating a, a, a reputation of being someone who is open and thoughtful and self-improving, then you have to get about the business of doing that and embracing the tools that allow you to do that. So to answer your question, the fundamental first step is how aware are you of the way you're moving through this world and the way people experience you? You know, the way you think you're being experienced and the way people actually experience you, there shouldn't be a very big gap between the two. Well, that brings up two questions for me. One is, how do you invite people to give you feedback? You hope, ultimately, that people have some compassion and respect that it's hard to hear things that you might not want to hear. There's got to be a lot of tact with that, right? And this is probably where empathic communication comes into play. You give the feedback anonymously because that's important. I mean, I think the majority of us on this planet find it hard to be fully honest with people we care about, even if it's in the interest of helping them, we still think too much about how they're going to receive it. So once it's done anonymously, the goal is not to pit one person against the other. So I would just find ways of addressing it to say, what is your perception of how you think people experience you when it comes to the way you manage your emotions, you know, and get them to sort of talk about it. And then, then I can share that, you know, if you were to learn that people experienced you in this way, which is incongruent with the way you see yourself, and and you learn that it's coming from more than just one person, would that leave you open to wanting to find out how you can improve that and change the impression? I mean, there's way, so there's ways to talk to someone than saying you're abrasive. You know, everyone feels like you're abrasive. Fix that, right? The key is not to give feedback in a way that makes people defensive, because if you make me defensive as you give me feedback, the only thing I'm going to spend my energy doing is guarding myself standing my ground, licking my wounds and soliciting uh, sympathy from people around me. You know, I'm not even going to listen to what you were saying, even if you were justified. Then what have we won? If that is our approach to delivering feedback, we win nothing in the process, right? So my challenge to myself and to those I coach is constantly thinking about how can you be honest, but do it in a way that doesn't bruise people emotionally. It takes a bit of time to think about our language, because I often talk about the fact that we all have access to the English language free of charge. But if we don't use our words mindfully, they can cost us a lot. And so that is the work of, of, a, of somebody who's committed to being a bit more emotionally intelligent is to say, I know it may take me work to think about how to craft this email, but those five minutes you took save you a lifetime of heartache on the other side when your email is received the way you intended for it to be received. 
not as an attack, but with genuine care and the desire to help somebody improve, it is all in the manner of delivery. You know, we don't have to not be honest and speak our minds. We just have to be mindful of how we're doing it. I have a policy which I only once or twice violated in many years is never send an email in anger because you are not going to say the right words. You cannot take it back once it's out. And that's not the, the best form for addressing uh, a beef you might have with somebody. Do you think that men and women have a different relationship with emotional intelligence and, and feeding back? I absolutely think so. And I think studies show that women tend to be more empathetic than men. I think the fact that most of us have grown up in cultures where men are not allowed to show emotion, I think is a detriment. And therefore, when men think of emotion, being emotionally expressive as being weak, then maybe they aren't as mindful about the emotions of somebody else when they're conversing with them. Even the idea of people classifying emotions as negative is flawed because we want to run away and escape from anything negative. So then when we experience anger and sadness and frustration, those are legitimate emotions that are on the human spectrum. But because they're classified as negative, we're in such a hurry to get out of the state of feeling those things. And then we miss the lesson. Anger might be some indignation about some unjust thing that's happening. It's teaching us something so that we can get up and do something about an injustice we're experiencing. More and more, I'm glad to see the trend is moving towards this idea that being emotionally expressive and being in tune with your emotions is not feminine. It's not weak. It's not soft. It's not even a soft skill. It's a human skill and a hard one at that. And I think that men are coming along slowly to understand that it's not a sissy thing to show emotion. It is a human thing. And in fact, when you learn to show emotion more often, you're able to express yourself as you intend. Women, we are very practiced at expressing our emotions and that's why we come across a little differently. I think a lot of our day-to-day -day communications are couched in negatives. Like don't forget uh, rather than remember to, flipping that into something that is a positive expression of what you're trying to convey is a real practice. Susan, you remember the, the background of, of how my book came together, where I got a chance to become a Lyft driver for 18 months and interview a ton of unsuspecting passengers and just hear their stories. There was one incident in particular with a mother who was in the back seat of my car with her two little kids and they were sort of fighting with each other over a toy, like a four and a six year old. And I'm watching this mom through my rearview mirror as I'm driving them to a soccer practice. And all of a sudden I heard the mother saying, Johnny, be kind. And I remember it just stopped me in my tracks because I thought at that moment, most parents who were up to their eyeballs in annoyance with their kids fighting would have been like, Johnny, don't stop this. Don't do that. Don't, 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 don't. And here was this mother who said, simply be kind. And they stopped fighting. And then Johnny gave the toy to his little brother. It was interesting because in life, we, we talk about what we don't want more than we talk about what we should be doing. So instead of saying, stop that, don't do that. Now I was thinking, what does be, being kind look like for Johnny? Because clearly he knows what that looks like. It benefits us in the long run, you know, just taking the extra minute or two throughout our day to think more deliberately about what we're going to say, the email we're going to type. 
it, it, it becomes a practice where it's no longer a time waster because we see how it benefits us on the other end of our actions. The more positively you can frame something, no matter what it is, more likely it'll be heard. It takes effort. I don't think we're very well educated emotionally, at least certainly not my generation. Children should be seen and not heard was prevailing belief in my coming up years. Talk about the two or three most important lessons you've learned in the last few years in particular. I would say one of the primary ones that jumps out at me is something that my parents tried to teach me. It's this idea of being a person of your word. There's so much disingenuous energy floating out there in the world these days in business. And and this idea of, you know, who, who are you when you think no one is watching? It especially matters. I can't tell you the number of times I've had interactions in my business with potential clients or people wanting me to help them. They did things when they didn't think people were paying attention. And it just comes back to bite them in the loss of business, in the loss of potential contracts, clients. Being a person of your word, it, it, you almost have to explain what that looks like to, to certain people. Susan, this is the way I like to put it. We all know what it feels like to be in the presence of somebody who keeps their word, somebody of integrity. We all know what it feels like, even when you don't think it matters. I mean what I'm going to say, and I think it help, it's helped me in business. And all of a sudden, I have people, clients coming to me in, in ways that just happened organically because maybe they were paying attention years ago when I didn't think they were even noticing. A second lesson for me would have to be every interaction we have with other human beings leaves behind what I call an emotional aftertaste. You know, every single person we interact with feels a certain way for having been in our presence. And typically that aftertaste is either bitter or sweet. And so the lesson I have learned is that it's so vital to care about the emotional aftertaste that you leave behind in the hearts and minds of people you cross paths with. And the way you do that whenever possible is to think in advance of your interactions with others, what you would like them to feel by the time they're done interacting with you. You're not going to be able to control it all the time, but you can influence it. And that is where the lesson is. And I think that's a, a good lesson that I've learned through the years and to put to practice. In regard to your first point about being a person of your word, I think one of the wor words that we do well to banish from interactions, especially professional ones, is, oh, I'll try to do that. Try means nothing. It leaves you off the hook. Either you're going to do it or you're not. There's no middle ground there if you're talking about a business transaction or, for that matter, a personal one. Try doesn't have any place in a well-informed communication between people. Absolutely. And, and it's a difference, Susan, between effort and control, right? You give it your best. You give it your all. You don't try. You, you give it the full 100%. The outcome is not what we're asking you to control. And I think people try to conflate the two. You know? You're right, because you cannot actually control an outcome, even if your efforts are well developed and, and intended. But that means you made the effort. You can come back and say, I did this, and this was a result. It didn't work for these reasons, and I'm going to approach it again from a different angle because 
it matters. Or conversely, I did this, but ultimately I found out from the results that it's not the path I want to go down. So I'm going to abandon that in favor of something else. So what's in the future? If I'm given the opportunity to be part of the future, (laughs) right, because it's not guaranteed to any of us, the future for me is just to continue to share my messages of, of kindness and thoughtfulness um, throughout the world and, and, and hope that more business people see the business case for being more human. There are people who are joining that bandwagon and realizing that kindness and graciousness in business is the new currency. It truly is. And so for me, the, it's a future that brings us back to a bit more civility. We all want the same things in the end. Maybe we're going about it different ways, but just getting back to remembering that we're all in this to be in relation to each other and to leave others feeling better off, you know, to allow others to experience us exactly how we intend to be experienced. So I hope to keep contributing in whatever way that I can with my work to, to a world that looks kinder and, and more gracious. You're well on your way. <laughs> That's your oh, practice you. actually, isn't it? <laughs> Yes, yes, indeed. I'm, I'm grateful to have, have a practice that allows me to, to, to further this cause in, in this way. And how's your book doing, by the way? I Dare You to Care. I love that title, doing, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Don't we all, we should all be daring to care more. Um, it's, it's doing very well. Thank you. I, I, I've been fortunate because of all the speaking engagements I have, you know, to have the audience, the platform to um, where, you know, people are buying it because of the awareness that, that, that they learn about from, you know, interacting with me in the keynotes and the trainings and the workshops, you know, in the coaching sessions and stuff. So yeah, it's, it's, um, it's grown organically. And I'm grateful to hear the feedback from people who tell me in some cases that they kind of carried with them as sort of a little emotional intelligence Bible, you know, to, <laughs> to help them navigate, you know, That's navigate nice. through life. Yeah. Yeah. We all need a guidebook. We're actually many guidebooks. Right. I, recently been reading a book about it's called tribal leadership it has in its underbelly i guess i call it emotional intelligence and that there are these stages that you go through in in leadership where you have to bring people along out of the attitude of life sucks or my life sucks or even i'm great but you're not And the thing that I brought out of it most particularly was the notion that it's important to be humble. Humility allows you to not have preconceptions about this person or this interaction or anything. It just says, I'm here. I'm listening. I'm glad to be here. And so you can take from it what is being offered. Every person can be a teacher in my experience. So compassion and humility allow you to let them teach you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that curiosity, you could add to that too, you know, more curiosity, less judgment uh, is, an inc- is an incredible recipe for success in life. It has you experienced life in a much richer way. Yeah. You're an active developer of wisdom. Well, thank you. And it, it comes from, you know, all the people whose shoulders I stand on. I was really humbled by the opportunity to be mentored by Dr. Angelo for the last 13 years of, of her life. And 
you know, that that saying that she's so famously known by that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel is something that I, I take with me because I saw it in action, you know, just being in, in her proximity to her and just watching how she treated people from the, the person opening the elevator doors for her all the way to celebrities she would have over for Thanksgiving dinner. She was a, a moving example of, of that. And, and, and I'm inspired by her and, and, and all the other women whose shoulders I stand on. And uh, yeah, I look forward to giving back in the ways that I can as well and, and never forgetting where I came from. You're well on your way. I mean, you're, you're in it. You're in it. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, and, and thank you for the opportunity to have a conversation with you about uh, such an inter- important topic as, as this human skill of managing how people are experiencing us in the world, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate you making the time and being on the podcast. Yeah. I hope, hope your listeners enjoy the conversation. Thank you so much for the time. Oh, you're welcome. You can support this podcast and the work of Women's Centers International. Learn more and donate at womenscentersintl.org. If you'd like to recommend women that I could interview for this podcast, drop me an email, susan at womenscentersintl.org. Stay well. Until next time.